Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that we have the privilege now to consider your word, to read what you have said already and understand it. We pray that you'd give us wisdom and discretion. We pray that you'd give us hearts that are desirous to learn from you. Give me wisdom as I speak, that my lips would speak only your intended thoughts. Guard my mouth from any wanderings of my own mind. Be glorified now in Jesus' name. Amen. Every profession requires at least some training. Depending on the particular profession, there are educational requirements. Uh, Sometimes there are requirements regarding experience. But even when these prerequisites are covered, uh, there will generally be some type of specified training for a new work environment. The military is all about training. Uh, For reserve units, our drill weekends and annual training are supposed to prepare us for the inevitable mobilization. So when you're put out in the field in another part of the world, you're able to hit the ground running. And one of the systems that is supposed to be in place in the Navy is a mentor-mentee relationship. It's not always in place, but it's supposed to be. Uh, These mentors are supposed to come alongside someone that is junior in rank to them and uh, really to guide them to be the best sailor that they can be, that they are prepared to make an an impact with their particular rate or rank, uh, whatever their particular community might be involved in. It's an essential part of training. In the process of giving his disciples their marching orders, the Lord Jesus Christ conveyed the importance of training, training disciples. He tells us to make disciples. That's the call. He tells his disciples to make disciples. And really, if you just break it down, it's very simple. Um, The way that these disciples are made are by going, by baptizing, and by teaching them. So take a look, please. We'll start in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28. This has been our text the last couple of weeks. This will be our last week uh, discussing this. But look what it says again in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." And so Jesus called His disciples to make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching to observe. So from that, we observe this very simple statement. A maturing disciple. A maturing disciple is one who is born again, baptized, and learning to obey or being taught to obey. It's a perpetual pursuit. Learning to obey what? Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So I want you to think just for a moment. Just think it over in your own mind. Can you think of any of the commands of the Lord Jesus? Commands of the Lord Jesus. Think it over. Is there a command in this passage? Do you remember what the command in this passage is? to make disciples. That is the command of the passage. In order to obey that command to make disciples, there are three elements of it. We've been discussing them. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Some churches emphasize, number one, going. Some churches emphasize one and two, going and baptizing. And some churches emphasize number three, 
teaching them to observe or teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So the question that we should ask and answer is, which of these should we emphasize? In order to fulfill the command of the text to make disciples, all three must be emphasized. We must emphasize the going, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must emphasize the need for them in responding to Christ to publicly declare that that response to Christ in baptism. And then we must emphasize the need for people to be taught to obey the things that have been communicated. So it's very, very clear we have to emphasize all three of them. This morning our study will focus upon this last element because we've covered the other two elements previously. The last element of this is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them. Teaching. The word didaskalos or didaskaleo. It means to teach. It's very basic. Teaching and preaching was an intimate part of the Lord Jesus Christ's pattern of ministry. Listen to what he says, or what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. Matthew 4.23 says this, And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He went about from place to place, going into their synagogues, the places of gatherings for worship, for learning, and he was teaching, and he was proclaiming. This is emphasis of his ministry. You're in Matthew 28. Take a right, one one page, I would assume, and take a look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. The Lord Jesus made an impact wherever he went. Some impact you can consider a externally positive impact. And sometimes you can say his impact was less than positive. Sometimes people didn't like what what he had to say. And so they would seek to take up stones to stone him. And so we see this this, uh, change from, from scene to scene of how people embrace the Lord Jesus. At the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, you see this growing appreciation for his ministry. There was, there was kind of a magnetism to his ministry. And he had just had an incredible day of ministry the day before. And then Jesus goes off by himself and he prays. The next morning comes and people are just haranguing. They want to find Jesus. And his disciples are like, I don't know where he is. And so they go to find him. And that's the context of what we see here in Mark chapter 1. Take a look beginning in verse 35. Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate or deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, listen to what he says, everyone is looking for you. They want you. They want to hear from you. Everyone's looking for you. Verse 38, And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. Will you read the rest of verse 38 with me? For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The pattern of the Lord Jesus' ministry was a preaching, teaching ministry. This is what he did. And as he gives the marching orders to his disciples about what what should dominate your thinking, what should dominate who you are and what you're trying to accomplish, he tells them, I have all the authority in heaven and earth. Based upon that authority, be going. Be going now. Go to make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. This is my method of ministry. This is what drove my ministry. You do the same thing. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And by the way, I'll be with you. Lo, to speak in King James Version, speak. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So with that being said, we're we're emphasizing this concept of teaching. This is what we do as a church, isn't it? We come together 
We, we worship God in, in prayer, in fellowship, in, in singing, in giving, and we worship God as we open the Word and we spend time. We're not in any hurry as we teach because we want to know what the Bible has to say. If we hurry through this, well, let, let's say we have an 11-minute sermon. What is the emphasis of our gathering at that point? It's upon something other than teaching. We save a good portion of our gathering because we want to know what God has to say. Not what I have to say, what God has to say. The teaching, teaching ministry. There are benefits to the teaching of God's Word, and I want first to talk about that for the next couple of minutes, the benefits of teaching God's Word. First of all, spiritual stability. Spiritual stability. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You'll notice inside of your bulletin there was a handout, and in that handout are um, just some notes from today's message time. And in that, you'll find all of the page numbers, church Bible page numbers, listed there. So you can follow along with that set of notes. It'll help you navigate if you're using one of our church Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. One of the benefits of teaching God's Word is it, is it enables spiritual stability. Listen to what God's Word says here, beginning in verse 11. And he, speaking of Jesus, gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We're just getting the sense of this. God has gifted the church first with apostles and prophets. They were the ones that received the revelation from God and God carried them along by the Spirit of God to record it for us. We have this established, authoritative, doctrinal base. The Word of God is breathed out from God. We have it in record form so we can understand what it is that God thinks, what it is that God wants us to know. The apostles and prophets benefited us that way. There were gifts to the church so we would have this foundational teaching. God also gifted the church with evangelists who bring the gospel to the world, feeding the church with converts, people that have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when people come into the church, God has gifted the church with shepherds and teachers, people that will feed the flock, give forth the word. What is the purpose of that? So that the people of God will do the work of the ministry, so that the people of God will look like the Son of God, that's verse 13, and verse 14, so that we are not easily moved away. So that we don't drift off based upon some new current of doctrine. So we're not thrown off by a new scientific discovery that someone tells you, this is in contradiction to the Bible. Well, what I would tell you is, um, there may be some shred of truth to whatever it is that they have discovered, but when it comes into conflict with what the one who created the world order and nature, which means he created the order of science, he wasn't confused. He wasn't confused when he spoke forth the words of Scripture and gave them to us. And so there's some way that we have to come to understand whatever this discovery is over against the one who created that thing. Right? We're not blown away, shifted away, tossed away by every wind of doctrine. Spiritual stability. Another benefit of the teaching of God's Word is spiritual development. Spiritual development. In the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul's ministry with the church at Ephesus was wrapping up, at least for that time. 
He didn't know whether he'd ever see them again, so he gave a farewell speech to those that were part of the church, particularly the gathered elders, those that were responsible for the spiritual oversight and teaching of the church. He gathered them together, and one of the things that he told them is reminded them of his ministry among them, how he regularly gave them the Word of God. He didn't shun to declare to them the whole counsel of God. He warned them that there would be, even from among themselves, wolves that would try to draw people after themselves instead of pointing people toward Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 32 of that passage, this is on the screen uh, to my left and right, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, to the word of his grace, to the word of God. I commend you to God and to the word of God, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. What does it mean, build you up? Add to your faith. Add to your faith the truths you need to know. The foundational doctrines. Add to your faith what God has to say. Understanding the theological truths of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Uh, Recognizing that we've been given as believers this wonderful gift of the Spirit of God who dwells in us is, is God's signature on us, saying, I, 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 you're mine, and, and I will one day have all of you, and you'll have all of me. All of these things that come out of the truths of Scripture, the, the word of His grace builds us up to understand who we are in Christ. One day, one day you and I, individually, will stand before Jesus. What do you think about that? What do you, what do you think about standing before Jesus? Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to stand there before the one who created heaven and earth and all that in them is? Are you ready to stand there before the one who will judge you in accordance with the truth? If you know what it means to be in Christ, you know that when you stand before him, you won't be standing there dressed in your shabby righteousness. You won't have to think, like Isaiah would say, uh, all my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I'm not going to be dressed in filthy rags before my Savior one day. Why? Because I'm really great? Because I did enough good deeds to be warranted heaven? No, that would be the filthy garments. I understand that I am in Christ because I have turned from my sin and embraced Christ I've been united together with Christ. When I stand before Jesus, my judge, I will stand there dressed in His righteousness because He is not only my judge, He is also my Savior. The word of His grace builds us up to understand this. I don't live my life wondering, oh, I hope I'm going to make it. I, I hope I'll measure up. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the Word of God builds me up. Spiritual development. Thirdly, spiritual nourishment is a benefit of the teaching of God's Word. Spiritual nourishment. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. Verse 1 of that passage essentially says, Lay aside all malice and evil and evil speaking. He's telling us to put aside those things that would distract us from what is good. Put aside these things, and then he says, like newborn infants, long, long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it, the spiritual milk, by by longing for the truths of the Word, you may grow up into salvation. It's a very strange wording, and, and if misunderstood, would would mislead. The concept isn't, oh, study God's Word and one day you'll attain unto this very special level of salvation. That's not the point. The point is, long for the spiritual milk because that spiritual milk is going to cause the truthfulness of your salvation to come out. Grow up to the point that your salvation is now on display. Grow up into salvation so it is a seen salvation. That's spiritual nourishment. That's one of the benefits of of teaching God's Word and learning God's Word. Fourth, 
spiritual focus. Spiritual focus. This is, this is really important to me. It's important for all of us. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The more we are taught rightly the Word of God, the more our focus will be upon the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, here in 2 Corinthians, is warning of anything less than that. Take a look beginning in verse 1, but the emphasis that we're looking for is verse 3. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. In other words, he wants the church that he had ministered the gospel in, he wants them to, to come through life and, and, and be as devoted to Christ at the end, or even more so than they were at the point that they came to know Christ as their Savior. Look at verse 3 now. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The teaching of God's Word right teaching of God's Word, will help us more and more see our desperate need to emphasize our look, our sustained look, our satisfaction in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's let's take a, a step back for a moment. Here's the general cry of of people that want to change the emphasis of teaching ministry. I want you to tell me what to do at work. I want you to tell me what to do in my home. I want to tell you, how do I deal with my finances? How do I deal with my kids? How do I deal with my spouse? I want practical lessons on how to live my life. Let's just suppose we catered to that and said, okay, this is what we're going to go through. The next three years, we're going to go through these categories and we're going to focus in on your life. When we come together, who exactly are we worshiping? I want you to think that over. We don't come together to worship us. We come together to worship Christ. And the more we talk about us the more disgusted, when I think of me, the more disgusted I get. I don't know, maybe you think great of yourself. I would warn you, if that's the way you feel when you think of yourself, that's probably a little bit of a dangerous place. When we come together and our focus is upon Christ, do you, do you sense yourself refreshed? Encouraged? It's like, wow, I, I deal with me every day, and I see my dilemmas, and I see my struggles, and I see my failures, and and I get enough of that all week long. When we come together, yes, of course, how does this work out, and how does this impact my life? That's all important. But, But the goal is to get us to look away from ourselves and unto Christ. And here Paul is saying, I'm afraid for you that you will be warped, that you'll be Led astray, away from a simple, sincere, and pure devotion to Christ. Proper teaching of God's Word causes us to look away from ourselves. The Bible tells us a lot about ourselves. It really is an anthropological book, a study of man. It shows you the nature of man. It absolutely does. But that is not its design. Its design is to help us to see what I really am so that I'll turn my gaze away from myself and to Christ. It really is a Christological book. A study of Christ. It shows us Christ and His sufficiency. Where I fail, He has succeeded. Where I have fallen, He has arisen to the task. Where I have sinned, He has met that sin with His sacrifice. Proper teaching of God's Word gives us a spiritual focus. It helps us 
be spiritually stable. It develops us spiritually. It nourishes us spiritually. It focuses us spiritually. And nextly, fifthly, it causes us to be transformed, spiritual transformation. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is, is about the new covenant and its glorious transcendence over the old covenant. That old covenant ministered to, through Moses, was glorious, but it had a fading glory. The new covenant has a continuously reviving kind of glory. It's an eternal glory because its glory is not based upon people. Its glory is not based upon our steadfast adherence to. Instead, the the glory of the new covenant is based upon the work that's been accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we pick it up, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. What image? The glory of the Lord image. In in what way? From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this is one of the wonderful benefits of the Word. We look. We look into the Word. And we're not like the man in James who looks into the Word and immediately goes his way, forgetting what manner of man he was. We're those that continue in the Word and by God's grace as He is working in us through His Spirit, He is transforming us and we become doers of the Word and not hearers only. As we look into the Word of God, as we look and see the glories of Christ in the Word, God is changing us into the very image that we're seeing there. This is a work of God. It says in verse 17, the Lord is the Spirit. Verse 18, right at the end, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit of God uses the Word of God, transforming us into the glory of God. And I'd say you could really shorthand that and say into the image of the Son of God. Right? We see the Lord Jesus being formed in us. You see the Lord Jesus being formed in you? Well, maybe not right this second. <laughs> uh, maybe not on Monday at 8, 8.15 in the morning when you're stuck in traffic and you're starting to, to think bad thoughts. Maybe the Spirit of Christ isn't that evident in you at that moment. But you know what? Because, because you've trusted Christ, because the Spirit dwells in you, and because you pay attention to what God's Word has to say, after you think the way you thought, and you realize that you're just not what you ought to be, what's your response? Oh, Father, I am a, uh, a frustrated person. I'm an angry person. Or I'm, I'm an impatient person. There's wickedness within me. So we turn. We confess our sin. We know He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when that's going on, we're walking in the light as he is in the light, right? And when we're walking in the light as he is in the light, guess what that means according to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3 or so? We have fellowship with the Father and with Jesus Christ, his Son. And you know what that results in? An overflowing joy, a joy that is full. And so as, as we grow in our, our walk with the Lord, it doesn't mean every mo- moment of our lives is a glorious moment. Uh, unfortunately, there are many inglorious moments of our lives. But those moments are transformed moments because they bring about our shortcomings. They bring about our frailty. They bring about our weakness. And they produce within us a repentance, a humility, and an adoration of Jesus Christ. Because I know the reason I have 
a right standing is not because I have come to this other spiritual enlightenment. I have a right standing before God because of Christ. That never, ever changes. It doesn't change on Monday at 8.15 or 8.16 or 8.17. It is a fixed reality. This is transformative, isn't it? And if we are not reminded of the truthfulness of God's word, we will find ourselves down in the dumps, focusing on ourselves, miserable with our sin, or maybe even worse than that, overlooking our sin as if it's not a big deal. Either way, either one of those results is an out-of-fellowship, out-of-joy moment. The, the fruit of the Spirit will not be evidenced in my life if I overlook sin or if I wallow in sin, right? The teaching of God's Word is transformative in that it reminds us, yes, God told me He remembers my frame. He remembers that I am dust. I can go to Him again. I can go to him freely. I can go to him. While I might be ashamed, I don't have to be ashamed before him because the sin issue was already dealt with in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I can come to him freely and just tell him, here I am again, Father. Here I am again. I need your mercy. I need your grace. Minister in me. Spiritual transformation. Sixthly, the benefit of the Word of God or the teaching of the Word of God is spiritual preparedness. Spiritual preparedness. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to hit this verse of Scripture again. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Talk for a little bit. Then we're going to come and, and, and incorporate it again in just a few minutes. So we're not going to exhaust it either time. We're talking right now about the benefits of the teaching of God's Word, and we're talking right now about spiritual preparedness. And look what it says, beginning in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so, in other words, it's preparing us. As we learn God's Word, it prepares us for what God has for us. That is one of the many benefits of the teaching and preaching of God's Word. All of these benefits, uh, whether it be spiritual stability, spiritual development, spiritual nourishment, spiritual focus, spiritual transformation, or spiritual preparedness, any one of these, all of them, are, are benefits that motivate the church. It motivates the church to preach, and to teach, and to counsel the Word of God. To, when, when someone asks us about their life, what are we applying? Our wisdom? Our experience? No, the Word. What does God's Word have to say? So, that we're motivated by these benefits. But an even greater motivation is that this, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has called His followers to be teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this leads to a, just a brief question for your consideration. Are the commands of the Gospels more or less essential than the commands of the New Testament letters? Teaching them all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Are the commands of the Gospels more or less essential than the commands of the New Testament letters? Do the red letters carry more authority or importance? To think that is to misunderstand the authorship of Scripture. When we see the Lord Jesus speaking in the Gospels, yes, the, the Gospel writers are quoting the words of Jesus. However, when you see the introduction to the book of 1 Timothy, for instance, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, etc., etc., we have to understand also that this is breathed out by God. This is a record of the very words of God. And because of that, 
the commands of the Gospels, the commands of the New Testament letters, are all of same importance. And so when we consider the call to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, it's not just, okay, let's look for red letters in our red letter editions. It's, what does God's Word say? What does God's Word say? This is what we need to know. This is what we need to teach and train. Paul captures the urgency of this call in this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 12, going right through chapter 4 and verse 8. We're just going to summarize it very briefly. The first item that we want to notice is this. Gospel ministry is conducted in a changing or challenging environment. Gospel ministry is conducted in a challenging environment. Look at verses 12 and 13 of 2 Timothy 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So this is the environment that we live, where uh, as we hold forth the standards of Scripture, people, people readily are not um, excited about it. Is that true? Have you found that to be true? I go to church on Sundays. Oh, yeah, I do too. I follow Jesus. Oh, Oh, you're one of those. <laughs> you ever been called one of those before? It's very interesting when, when someone says that. Nonetheless, this is the environment that we, that we minister in. Secondly, gospel ministry makes God's redemptive work known. This is, this is super cool. Gospel ministry makes God's redemptive work known. Look at verses 14 and 15. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? The sacred writings which are able, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's another way of saying that gospel ministry makes God's redemptive work known, right? When we open the pages of Scripture, the sacred writings, the words that are from the Lord, when we open them, we're, we're being given the wisdom wisdom for the saving work of God. And so how do we apply this thought? What does this mean? Well, gospel ministry should take place in our child's training. We have to deal with behavioral things, right? As parents, uh, you know, this is the right way to act. This is the right way to, to, to do this. This is how you treat an adult. This is how you treat a, a, a girl. This is how you treat a boy. This is, you, know, you teach them all these very regular items of life, right? It's part of our responsibility. In addition to that, and even more important than that, we must train our children in the things of the gospel. We must point them to the saving work of Jesus Christ. This takes place in our raising of our children. It takes place in youth ministries. And it also takes place, brothers and sisters, in gospel friendships. What's a gospel friendship? You ready for this? This is, this is, very, this is one of those heavy ones. Do you have a friend? Do you? That's a gospel friendship. Whether they're believers or unbelievers, that friendship is a gospel friendship. Which means, as a good friend, whether that friend is a believer or an unbeliever, you are bringing the gospel to the table. You are constantly refreshing them, communicating the gospel, Speaking forth the gospel, living out the gospel. Because if you are not doing that, then that is not a gospel friendship. Your friendships, every relationship in your life, every relationship in my life should be a gospel-related relationship. We must bring, bring the life-giving supply of the gospel with us into our relationships. Gospel ministry makes God's redemptive work known. Thirdly, Gospel ministry prepares believers for real life. Real life. Look at verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is, this is great. Uh, we don't have time to dive into all of this, but the word teaching is just the word for doctrine. Um, for reproof, the word reproof has the idea of uh, showing what's wrong. This is, there are things that are right and wrong. Did you know that? I know that our society doesn't believe that anymore. Whatever you want to do is fine. 
It's not my business. Uh, that's, that's, that last part probably is true. You know, if you're not uh, someone that I'm supposed to shepherd, what you do with your life is not really my business. Um, but that doesn't make right and wrong not apply. There are still things that are right and wrong, whether you want to hear it or not. Reproof. Then it says, for correction. You know what that means? Well, these things that are wrong, here's how to, how to correct them. The Bible gives us that information to, to, to write the things that are wrong. And then it says, an instruction in righteousness. That is a training how to live out the things of Christ, the, the, the life of Christ in life. In verse 17, that the man of God may be complete. That's a very interesting word. The idea, just for time's sake, is it's what is fitting for a particular thing. What is fitting for a particular thing. That the man of God may be fit for a particular thing. Well, what is the particular thing? What does it mean to be a Christian? How do you live out the Christian life? That's the essence. God's Word is beneficial in that it teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us, it instructs us in righteousness so that we'll know what it means to be a Christian, to follow the Lord Jesus. Then it says in verse 17, equipped for every good work. Well, how can you apply that? Well, this is talking about real life. Ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God impacts you at home. It impacts you at work. It impacts you in the marketplace. It impacts us as friends, as neighbors, as husbands and wives, as moms and dads, and as children. So when we, if we want to know how to live out real life, gospel ministry prepares us for this. That's what the Word does. It shows us this, this is the way it was supposed to be. See, that's what God's Word does for us. It, it holds out for us the original design. It shows us where mankind has deviated from the original design. It then shows us how Jesus has corrected this deviation and provided for us salvation in the face of our deviation and how the Lord Jesus can revolutionize and transform our lives so that we live that life that was the original design. It's very simple. It's very simple. There's creation, fall, redemption, right? And redemption doesn't just mean salvation unto, okay, I'm saved from the wrath of God. Redemption also means redeeming areas of my life that are to be redeemed for the purposes of God. And then consummation when God brings it all to its final conclusion. Gospel ministry prepares us to deal with real life. Fourth, gospel ministry is conducted in the presence of God. Verse 1 of chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. You realize everything you do takes place in God's presence? It's good to remember that, including how we minister the Word. Fifth, gospel ministry must persist regardless of our environment. Look at verses 2 and following. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, that word has already been used. Rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So he he calls us to be those that proclaim the word. Now this is specifically to Timothy. He's uh, an apostolic representative. But the call there, remember, Jesus' design, Jesus' life was one of teaching and preaching. And he calls his followers to be those that teach others to observe, So we're, we're borrowing on this passage to help us to understand how to shape that. Does that make sense? He tells us to preach the Word when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. He tells us to be patient because not everyone responds well and to keep teaching. That's, that's, a, that's a synopsis of verse 2. And then he gives us a little bit of insight about, about our society. Verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, 
Tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me what I need to hear. True gospel ministry seeks to tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. People and society do not set the curriculum. It's already been laid out for us. Verse 4, and we'll turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. This is the society that, that we live in, but he says, preach it whether it's convenient or not. Preach it whether people want to hear it or not. Teach people the truth. Verse 5, he gives this concluding challenge before he, before he concludes this section. He says this, And as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Don't stop doing this. Why is it so important? Why, why end this with this kind of a challenge? He says, verse 6-8, six, six he tells us why. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Why is it so important? Because he said, tag, you're it. I'm done. My life's being poured out. I finished. Now, Timothy, you have to keep it going. Preach the word, whether people want to hear it or not. Don't sway. Don't let them cater, or don't you cater to their promptings to deviate you from a pure and devotion, a simple devotion to Christ. Paul is providing for Timothy exactly what he is calling Timothy to accomplish. This example Paul lays out is exactly what our Savior called us to be doing in the process of making disciples. What are we trying to prepare people for? What are we trying to prepare people for? Ladies and gentlemen, the day they meet Jesus. We're trying to prepare people for the day they meet Jesus face to face as their judge. What does God require for entrance into heaven? What does God require? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, he tells us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So we've got to be, we have to be extraterrestrial. Um, what else? According to Revelation 21 and 22, no one who sins will be in heaven. Well, I right now am made of flesh and blood, and I can't think of any particular one, but I probably have sinned today. Only sinners in heaven. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is to be born from above. This is why so much of the Bible is teaching us about substitutionary sacrifice. Substitutionary sacrifice. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of Uh, Israel brought their animals. They brought their animals, and the animal died instead of them. This was a foreshadowing of a final and perfect sacrifice. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about a once-for-all sacrifice. We'll borrow from the words of John the Baptist. This once-for-all sacrifice was of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. Listen, we're preparing people to face the judge through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus provided the remedy for our sinfulness, and he provided for our utter need for unquestionable, unchanging, inscrutable righteousness. To be prepared to meet the judge, you must know him as Savior. This is what we're trying to help people with. Constantly reminding people. One day we'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll be our judge. But if He's our Savior, the one who judges you is the one that already paid the price. Gospel relationships. Brothers and sisters, we've been called to make disciples. You, you have been called to make disciples. Who are you ministering to with the Word? Who are you refreshing with the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Who are you teaching? 
You don't have to have all the answers to be a teacher. Teach them what you know. Keep learning the word. To be effective as a teacher, you and I must be continually learning. We must be people of the word, people of the book. We study, we read, we take it in. We, we put ourselves in, in position to be uh, recipients of teaching so that we can teach the word to other people. This is what Jesus has laid out for us. God has called you and I to make disciples. We, go, we, we make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching them to observe whatever Jesus has commanded. Wherever you see a command in the New Testament, Jesus commanded it. Wherever you see the, the Word of God, you're seeing the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we teach people these things so they'll mature and know Christ, so they'll be spiritually stable, they'll be nourished, they'll be transformed, and so they might then be gospel people. Who are you teaching? If you withhold teaching from others... You're not disobeying my command, but you are disobeying Jesus' command. Let's pray together. Father, you know what we need, and you've given us your word, and we pray that you'd help us to be responsive to your word. We pray, Father, for anyone in here that's never trusted Christ as their Savior. They don't, they don't have the joy of knowing that their standing is set before you. Pray, Father, that even today they would recognize that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is a sufficient payment to bear their sin. We pray that they would turn from their sin and turn to Christ for salvation. We pray, Father, for those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Help us to recognize the importance of our every conversation, of our every relationship. We pray that you'd help us to be those that are imparting the truths of the gospel and the truths of your word into others' lives, that we might be part of this process of ministering your word to others. You've called us to be ministers of the word. We pray that we would be obedient in that by your grace and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.